Well, as Rick uh, mentioned, my name is Scott Reevely, and I'm uh, happy to be here. Already, I have to say, in time, and sometimes you find it out after it's too late. Uh, this morning, I well, I'm here because. Uh, Taylor, who many of you know, is going to preach for me in West Lynn, and uh, woke up this morning and had two positive tests for COVID. But he found out in time, because somebody called him yesterday and said, I think you've been exposed, and so he was a little afraid about uh, what that might mean for today, and so he said, you know what, i got to practice anyway. So he went to church, and he practiced the sermon, but he turned on the camera, and so they're going to get a taped sermon in West Lynn because he found out in time. On my way here this morning, I'm uh, coming, off the, or coming on to the freeway, and right there on the side, there's this thing I couldn't recognize, and there was this little tyke's basketball hoop, and I thought, I'll bet you somebody is really disappointed because <laughs> dad thought he tied it down and he didn't find out until it's too late that he didn't. And now there it is on the side of the road. Um, I had a week where these things happened all week long, seemed like. On Thursday, I had a... I had a day. I was late to an appointment in the morning, which put me late to an appointment at lunch, which went long, put me late for the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. I was late to five meetings on Thursday. And right after lunch was supposed to be the preaching meeting where we talk about our sermons, like my most important meeting of the week, and I was supposed to run it on Zoom. Well, I wasn't in my office. So I turned Zoom on on my phone, and I'm... I'm talking to people as I'm driving back, and I'm setting it down, and um, I, I stopped to get gas. I muted it, of course, and anyway, I, 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 heard, I get back to the office to just in time, right before the meeting's over, and I turn on my computer and my camera, and um, I say, hi, guys. Thanks for being patient, and uh, I said, I just, it's good to see you. He said, well, they said, we saw your ear and the inside of your truck and some of the scenery where you were driving. And I said, and you didn't tell me? And you didn't even tell me? And now you tell me? And sometimes you don't find things out <laughs> until it's too late. And those, uh, I'm going to have to find a way to get back at those guys somehow. But that's, I think, the thing that ought to concern us, is there are things that, that you know about or hear about in time, and there are some things that you hear about too late. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Because Jesus warns us in this Sermon on the Mount not to presume uh, right now, because later it will be too late for you to make adjustments. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 29, and we'll read the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And in this conclusion, Jesus warns us not to be surprised later, but rather to pay attention now. So Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. And so really, the, the question this morning is simple. I mean, who will stand in judgment and who will be sent away? Whose lives will be welcomed and who will crumble? And I think the answer is pretty clear. Those who submit to the king and do what he says, those are the ones who will stand in the judgment. And if you submit to Jesus and do what he says now, you will be a kingdom citizen now and safe forevermore. The first thing that I want you to see in verses 21 through 23 is very simply that it is possible to think you're in when you're really out. It's possible to think that you're in when you're out, to think you're okay when you're really not okay. And that's what happens to at least two different sets of people. There's the set, first of all, that says, Lord, Lord. I made the right profession. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I said what I was supposed to say. I know I got it right. Lord, Lord. And simply saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't get you into the kingdom. Doing God's will does. There is, first of all, this one who puts their faith in their own words. Lord, Lord, I, I said it right. I prayed the right prayer. I know I'm good. And they treat their faith as though it's a magic spell that somehow will bring about the result of eternal life. There is a second concern that Jesus has in these verses, which is simply that there are people who put their faith in their own performance. They said, Lord, we did this in your name, or we did that in your name. And somehow they were certain that they did the right thing. 
And so if, if I could make it really, really simple, I'd say this. You can say the right thing and you can do the right thing and still not be part of the kingdom of heaven. You see, all along in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we've said that Jesus is a master at getting to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this. If your heart doesn't belong to Him, if it does not beat with His, if it does not motivate you to do what He says, you are outside of that narrow gate that we spoke of a couple weeks ago. And ultimately, it is a heart transformation that issues in a life change that Jesus is after. So I think it's really important that you get clear on this. Jesus is not building a kingdom. He's not the king of a kingdom that's made up of people who barely tiptoe over some imaginary line in order to get saved and call it good. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus is really about changing people such that they live different now and have a different destination one day. Saying the right words doesn't get you in the kingdom. Doing good works doesn't get you in the kingdom. Your relationship with God, your knowledge of God, or better yet, being known by God. That's how it describes it here in verse 23, isn't it? I never knew you. To know God and be known by God is what Jesus is talking about. So don't think for a moment that you can get by with a religion that is somehow impersonal or mechanical. Because it is personal. And it's personal to Jesus. That's the thing that I love about this. I never knew you. Jesus wants to know you. He wants to to be intimate with you and love you. And so knowing Him is the key really to being in the kingdom. Because there is no kingdom without a king and there's no heaven without a savior. After all, there's nothing more personal than God sending His own Son, a person, into the world. And so, you need to realize faith is not mere words saying, Lord, Lord. Faith is an all-in response to Jesus. Faith is an all-in response to Jesus. I am all about this. If you're not all about this, you you need to examine your heart. Because faith is forsaking the old and putting yourself all in with Jesus and life in His kingdom. That's actually the way that He talks about it. He uses what have come to be religious words, right? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, yes, if you're not all in, get rid of all the parts that aren't in and be all in. What it means to repent. Turn from the parts that are out and get all in with Jesus. Know Him and be known by Him. Or else you will find out too late that He says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
possible also to think that you will stand when, in fact, you'll fall. To think that you're strong when, in fact, you'll crumble. That's what we see in verses 24 and following. Because there's a wise man who builds his house on the rock. I mean, I can hardly read this without singing children's songs. Maybe you're the same. I don't know. But ultimately, Jesus said there's a wise man who builds on the rock, and there's a foolish man who builds on the sand, and you must be the wise man now. Because there will come a day when you will pay for it if you're not. This word, do, the works of, uh, do my words, we see that in verse 21 with the, uh, the profession, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say. We see it here in verse 24 where the wise man does the words of Jesus, <laughs> doing what Jesus says. Okay, that's when we're talking about a king and a kingdom, that's what we're talking about is letting Jesus be the king and run the show and make the rules. But doing, the word doing is used 22 different times in this sermon. Jesus is pretty serious that we just don't give him a nod on Sundays, but rather that every day through the week we do what he says. In fact, this doing his word is the litmus test that you will be saved. In judgment. The foolish man, or the wise man and the foolish man, here are contrasted because of the way that they construct their lives. One doing the words of Jesus, one not. In uh, chapter 25, we see the same contrast. There are wise virgins and foolish virgins. One who, the wise ones are ready for the return of Jesus. The foolish ones are not. And so the question is, somebody's telling you now, before it's too late, to make sure that you are the wise one, to make sure that you are building your life doing the words of Jesus. See, like the preceding verses that we just read, Doing the word of Jesus is an inside-out kind of a thing. It represents knowing him and being known by him, such that he is your king and you do what he asks you to do. There is no masquerading in following Jesus. You can't somehow make a deal with him that says, if I do this, then you have to save me. This isn't salvation by works, but rather, just like I mentioned earlier, this is being all in with respect to Jesus being your king. Don't misunderstand that somehow this rock that you build on is your own good effort. The rock is Christ, and your genuine faith in him manifests itself and results in these good works or these works that do his word and the problem with this then 
is that this storm, the storm that is most certainly coming, is not merely the difficulties of life. Though there will be some, and some, if you have storms, if you have difficulties in life that, that rain down on you and blow against your life, that may be a gift to you to give you some indication about how your house will do. But the reality is that the storm he's talking about here, I think, is the storm of judgment that God himself will hold us to account for the way that we lived our lives and what we did with the words of Jesus. And the problem is that it's when the storm comes, this storm of judgment, that we find out too late we weren't ready. Because from the telling of the story, if you, if you look there and, and read about the, the wise man and the foolish man and the, the two houses, from the outside, the houses are relatively indistinguishable. They're like track homes, right? Built one right next to the other, and you really can't tell the difference. The builders, for all intents and purposes, look the same. Which does make me think about questions that I'm asked often when uh, people say, but that's such, they're such good people. They, they do so many good things. Well, yes, the houses are virtually indistinguishable. And the builders themselves are very much alike. Yet, one is built on Christ doing His work, doing His words, keeping, letting Him be the king. And the other one is not. It is the unseen part of the house. The one that the realtor doesn't get pictures of when it's for sale that determines how well it will stand up in judgment. I suppose you can think of this message in these words of Jesus as a home inspection. Because if any of you have ever had a home inspector come look at your house, you know that they dive down into the basement or the crawl space looking at the foundation, checking things out at the bottom. That's what I'm inviting you to do right now. Is your life built on King Jesus having His way such that you do what He asks you to do? Or are you just a pretty good person going through the motions? Home inspectors know what Jesus knows, that a house must have a good foundation. And so it's possible to think that you're in when you're out, to think that you'll stand when you'll really fall. It's possible to hear th this sermon and miss the Savior. It's possible to read the Sermon on the Mount and not have Jesus as your king. 
the astonishing authority of Jesus does change those who follow him. Verse 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. Their minds were blown at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had authority, not like their teachers. And so I just want, I just want to step back, take a deep breath here. And think about what we've recently read in the Sermon on the Mount. What it is that we've talked about. And has it had the effect in your life that Jesus wants it to have? I have to admit, we've preached 19 messages on the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't even take 19 minutes to read it. And I think we could have even had more sermons on it because there's so much there. And so we ask ourselves, what is it that makes this sermon of Jesus so important? The answer simply, he taught as one with authority. The king of the kingdom has come. And he wants you to know what life in the kingdom is like. And so he he, he didn't mince words. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't say, well, you know, I, I really need followers, so you all can kind of do it however you like and just, just hang out with me. No, he taught with authority. Matthew is rather struck with the authority of Jesus. Right here is the first time that he points it out. But then... In the next chapter, he heals the centurion ser uh, servant and makes an issue of authority. And again, the chapter after that, he heals a paralytic and recognized his authority is recognized. He sends out the 12 in chapter 10 and gives them authority. Then again, James and John jockey for the best positions in the kingdom. And he straight up asks them. He straight up tells them that the one who has authority is the one who's a servant. Then right before he's arrested, the religious leaders ask him, where do you get your authority? They finally have had enough. They, they're impressed with it as well, just like Matthew is. And then we have the crescendo, really, of the entire gospel of Matthew, the death and resurrection of Jesus in the final words where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go and make disciples. Jesus taught as one who has authority. And even in his actions, the authority of Jesus, the kingliness of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus just cannot be contained. In chapter 8, verse 1, if you just look at the next verse, it, it, it's simple. It just says Jesus came down from the mountain. It says in chapter 5 that he went up the mountain, and now he says he came down the mountain. You think, well, he went up the mountain, down the mountain. I do that whenever I go for a hike. Matthew wants you to see more than that, though. He wants you to recognize 
that there is a new covenant here enacted by the person of Jesus. In the old covenant, in the giving of the law, Moses went up the mountain, didn't he? And he met with God. And then Moses came down alone and God stayed at the top of the mountain. But unlike that first covenant, God doesn't stay at the top of the mountain. He comes down and as was announced at his birth, he is God with us. Emmanuel. And Jesus teaches as one that has authority as a king talking to his subjects. So what are we to make of his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount? I just want to remind you of a few key ideas that reinforce the authority of Jesus. This is a little bit, I suppose, in review of this Sermon on the Mount. The first thing that causes us to recognize that Jesus is a force to be reckoned with is the way that he starts this sermon. He starts it by turning what you and I know about the way the world works upside down. Because if you start with the Beatitudes, you recognize that Jesus is describing something different than you and I experience day to day. Either he is wacko or we are. Either he is right about the way that the world should work or he is completely wrong. Not a little bit wrong, but completely wrong. Jesus is either upside down, or we are, and he is right side up. Because Jesus suggests, he more than suggests, Jesus states that the world works best when you're poor in spirit, not when you're full of yourself. That you are most fully human when you are meek, not when you're proud. He somehow gives the indication that mourning is better than laughing. And purity of heart does not mean that you miss out on the fun things that young people do. It means that you've got to decide. Are you going to be all in with Jesus? And right side up with him. You're going to be upside down with him and right side up with the world around us. And so Jesus reorients us from the start. Then he goes on through the sermon. And he turns things inside out. He makes sure that we recognize that life has lived from the inside out. You have Jesus talking about praying in your closet, not in the streets. About giving in secret, not so that everyone can see, because it's the inside that matters to him more than what's on the outside. Jesus is completely preoccupied with the inside and living life on the inside out. That's why he says, you heard it said, don't murder. I say, let's talk about what's on the inside. Don't even be angry. Jesus says, 
Don't be anxious about what you wear or what you'll eat or what you have on the outside. Rather, consider the flowers and trust God and be at peace on the inside. It doesn't matter if you say, Lord, Lord, or somehow do good works to impress others on the inside. Do you know him and does he know you? Because this sermon is beautiful because it's inside out. And then, then I would have to say that Jesus brings us a kingdom that is now and not yet. So right before the sermon starts, we see Jesus preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's not that you somehow have to study Revelation and guess what's going to happen. The kingdom is here right now. There is the now. The now is, blessed are those who are persecuted. Then there's the not yet, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. We know that it's not yet because it's painful now to be persecuted and the blessing of the kingdom being fully realized is still coming. Right now, if you reorient your life to Jesus, you can be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven with him as your king. And I will admit, we realize only a sliver of the value or the benefits of this kingdom. And it's only when we live like Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount that the kingdom has any shape at all in this world. But we can be certain that one day this kingdom will be installed in all its glory and grandeur and grace. And Jesus will reign unrivaled. And God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The new heaven and the new earth will represent not only the glory of God, but the perfection of humanity like Jesus insists here in his sermon. Sin and suffering will be finished. Injustice will be eliminated because the kingdom is here in its entirety. We live in the now kingdom waiting for the not yet kingdom. We live now as ambassadors of a foreign kingdom. Our church is an embassy of a kingdom that is yet to come, that's not located here in, uh, permanently. And we long for the not yet kingdom when Jesus will reign unrivaled. And so I want you to 
recognize at the end of this sermon, this message, more clearly than you did before. That Jesus is doing right now what he did in Matthew chapter 4 before he even began the Sermon on the Mount. He is calling you to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is inviting you to join his kingdom as it moves forward into what is not yet. And so, I want to ask you, before it's too late, will you be all in with Jesus? Will the most important thing that you do with your life, with your day, with this very minute, be to do whatever Jesus says? Or are you inclined to negotiate what it is that he might want. Please don't wait until it's too late. Thinking that going through some religious motions will be enough when the storm of judgment hits. Because when the storm of judgment hits, it'll be too late. And someone needs to tell you ahead of time. Someone needs to let you know before there's nothing to do about it. And that's what I am doing this morning. Inviting you to be all in with Jesus. To let Him be your King. To let Him call every shot in your life. So that you might be the wise person. The fully human person. The one who enjoys the kingdom of heaven because you're poor in spirit and meek and mourning and peacemaking. So that you might have this full experience of being human now in the hope of everlasting joy together with him in the kingdom that is not yet. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I just want to plead with you that you would be gracious to us such that none of us, not me, not anybody else, pretends at their religion. That we masquerade as someone who has it all together when in fact we're outside that narrow gate. Father, if there's anybody who hears my words and is not sure that they're through the gate, and they're only partly in with Jesus, Father, would you just give them grace this morning just to get all the way with Jesus. So, Father, I ask for your goodness, your grace, and your help for us this morning. And would you make New Life Church an embassy that not only represents the sweetness of the kingdom of God in this world, but, Father, that enjoys the sweetness of the kingdom of God. Because people are like, the, like Jesus describes them here. So would you help us, I pray, in Jesus' name.